Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Two former female aides to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo are accusing him of inappropriate behavior, with one saying the governor sexually harassed her in incidents that included touching and an invitation to play strip poker. The Democrat denies the allegations. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Lindsay Boylan, in a piece on the online forum Medium, says Cuomo invited her to play strip poker when she and the governor were alone during an October 2017 business flight on the governor's private plane. Boylan, who was then a top advisor to the governor on economic development, also accuses him of inappropriately making remarks about her appearance and touching her. She says she received an unwelcome kiss from him when she was alone with the governor in his New York City office in 2018. Boylan resigned her post in September of that year. She's now running for Manhattan Borough President. Boylan first referenced her allegations in a tweet in December of 2020, though at the time she refused to give any more details. Cuomo, on December 14th, denied the allegations. It's not true. Uh, look, I, I fought for and I believe uh, a woman has the right to come forward and express her opinion uh, and uh, express issues and, and concerns that she has. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just not true. A spokeswoman for Cuomo, Caitlin Gerard, in a statement Wednesday, denies the most recent charges, saying the claims of inappropriate behavior are quite simply false. The governor's office released the flight manifest from all trips taken on the governor's plane in October of 2017, along with the testimony of four of the governor's top staffers. They say they were on the flights and at no time was Cuomo ever alone with Boylan. The second-highest-ranking woman in state government, Senate Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, did not rush to defend the governor. In a statement, Stewart-Cousins says the account is deeply disturbing and that there's no place for this type of behavior in the workplace or anywhere else. The Speaker of the Assembly, Carl Hastie, who, like Stewart-Cousins, is also a Democrat, also weighed in, saying in a statement that he considers the allegations serious and says that harassment in the workplace of any kind should not be tolerated. Boylan is not the only woman to make charges against Cuomo, who's already under fire for his handling of the nursing home death numbers during the COVID-19 pandemic. Karen Hinton, a former aide to Cuomo as well as New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, called out both men on their political styles, which she says are demeaning and disrespectful to male and female staffers. In an essay for the Daily News, Hinton says Cuomo's penchant for bullying is the norm. She describes first working for Cuomo when he was HUD secretary in the 1990s, saying he got her the job, then worked to undermine her. Working for him is like a 1950s version of marriage. He always, always, always comes first, she wrote. The governor in his office did not respond to Hinton's charges. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Double to pay, I'm a double to pay, I pull up my life. I'm a double to pay.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartok. Alan, the governor of New York now facing allegations. Two former female aides to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo are accusing him of inappropriate behavior, with one saying the governor sexually harassed her in incidents that including touching and an invitation to play strip poker. The Democrat denies the allegations, says they simply are untrue. Lindsey Boylan, one of the accusers, wrote a column about it, detailed those allegations, including what she says are corroborating emails. You have the Speaker of the Assembly, Carl Hasty, saying these are serious allegations. Andrea Stewart-Cousins of the Senate saying it's deeply disturbing. Of course, many lawmakers calling for more investigation. This is a tough spot for the governor right now. Well, this has not been an easy time for him. Obviously, he's under attack on a number of different levels. And now comes this. And one of the accusers, of course, is running for political office right now and therefore becomes an interesting idea about you waited until you're running for political office and now you're doing it. I always know that as soon as these accusations are made, somebody's going to believe them and take some political advantage. Look, we know that things can get testy between the governor and his two legislative leaders, both of whom are Democrats, and they are pouncing right now and they're saying, we find this deeply disturbing. It may be that it's just true. And if it's true, when will we ever learn that this kind of behavior is not really acceptable? As long as you have men and women, however, you're going to have people making propositions to each other. Often it's the man. And, you know, this is a tough spot for Cuomo to be in at this time. That's for sure. So with these allegations in mind, Alan, we had, before this story broke, a story about a new poll that had come out about the governor, which sort of saw his numbers from their peak back during when he was doing his national COVID-19 daily briefings to now sort of come back down to earth, back to where he was before. I believe it was 54% somewhere in there. But now you have these allegations. I mean, I assume this isn't going to help the numbers going forward. I don't think so. Look, if you're above 50% in politics, you're doing well. 54% is quite good, David. It's not good enough, obviously, for a guy like Cuomo, who had been way above that, as you suggest, during his time on the television virtually every day and giving out the facts. But now, you know, this is coming home. If I'm Cuomo, I would be breathing some sigh of relief that I'm not in the 30s or 40s like Trump was all the time. I'm in the 50s. Nevertheless, what has come down so far could, as you suggest, come down even further. And he wants to run for governor another time. He keeps telling us that. We'll see whether he actually keeps to that. He knew it was going to be tough. He knew it was tough for his father, Mario, who actually lost on that attempt on the fourth term. It is almost an unwritten law that you don't run again for a fourth term because it's just too much. People have had enough. Polls show people saying that we should have a change. But when you put Cuomo up against any individual who's out there right now, he does extremely well against them. I can hardly think, David, of people who will challenge him. There's been some talk about the attorney general challenging him. But her polls are not that good when it comes to the tests that are run in terms of a contest here. Does this situation give the Republicans a chit going forward? In other words, I can see the campaign ads. David, 
who is George Pataki? <laughs> right. The guy was the guy was unknown. He runs against Papa Cuomo and he wins, and he stays as governor for three terms. And you know, he was when he ran what commonly could be called a nothing or a nebbish, and yet people said, "Okay, we have enough of this now." And they kept reelecting him. And now, of course, he's surfacing against Andrew, not as a candidate, but as a commentator on Andrew's deficiencies. And we are not seeing yet a Republican who can beat Cuomo in the polls so far. We keep hearing the name Elise Stefanik as a potential candidate. Well, that would be great. You know, an awful lot of people don't like Elise Stefanik, and she faces a certain number of problems, one of which is that they may well combine her district this time around, we're going to lose a congressman, with Claudia Tenney. And if that happens, she could be out as a congresswoman. I don't think that would happen. I think she'd win. But if she runs for governor in blue state New York with the kind of anti-creds that she has with so many people disliking her, I doubt she could get anywhere. Is the culture changing in the legislature? We've talked about this for years and years and years, that old boys network, the three men in a room, you know, the cigar-smoking politicians, har, har, har. Has that culture been changing? Oh, I think there is no doubt that it has. I mean, I think unless you're nuts and you're a male, for example, and you, you know, you have known how many people have gone down as a result of this thing, how many people have been accused and have suffered politically as a result of this thing, you know, you better believe that a lot of people would not do this anymore. I had a friend, deceased, who I went to school with, who got elected to the legislature and got hit with it as soon as he got there. Because in some cases, power, power goes to the brain and people immediately abuse it. I think money and sex are two of the things that people get attracted to in in politics. And uh, therefore, you know, it's just wrong. And I think more people certainly know it than before. Are there still people who can't do it, who don't understand what's at stake? Yes. Alan, how's Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer doing? You know, I don't know. Um, There are those of us who like him a lot, I do, but who feel that he needs to be more dynamic when it comes to espousing liberal positions. For years, he couldn't do it because he wasn't the majority leader, he was the minority leader, and to some degree, he couldn't afford to alienate Mitch McConnell, although, I'll be honest with you, I think he should have. Now, he knows that the danger to him is not the Republicans. The danger to him in running is that he'll be opposed from the left. And so you see his evolution with more liberal rhetoric and hoping that this will prevent somebody from entering a primary against him. You know, you get somebody like AOC Cortez as to whether or not she would dare do it Look, she's ambitious, we know that, and she has very popular opinions. Right now, it doesn't look like she could beat him, and we'll see whether or not she says, okay, I think I'll try this, even though there have been protestations that she won't. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Chartoff.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand brought her call for robust low-income home energy assistance program or LIHEAP funding in the next coronavirus relief package to Albany. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas was there and filed this report. Gillibrand came to Lincoln Park to say low-income households and seniors must be given critical assistance now. She says nearly 60,000 families in the Albany area relied on LIHEAP funding before COVID hit. And now the economic crisis caused by the pandemic has put an unprecedented financial burden on New Yorkers, millions juggling household budgets to keep their homes and apartments heated. Over the past few weeks, winter storms have truly wreaked havoc all across communities in our state and across the country. And as we've tragically seen with the storms in Texas this week, not having heat in the cold is really a matter of life and death. But keeping the heat on comes at a cost. And often that's a cost that families cannot bear. Low-income households in New York can spend more than $2,700 a year on energy bills. That accounts for nearly 13% of their income. Finding room in the budget to pay those bills have been difficult in an ordinary year, but in this last year of COVID, it's an even greater challenge and beyond people's capability. While the CARES Act dedicated $900 million in emergency LIHEAP funding last year, state energy officials estimate significant emergency supplemental funding is needed to help financially strained households pay their energy bills and stay safe throughout the winter. LIHEAP now needs additional funding to help the families relying on this program for this winter. That's why I've called for the next COVID relief package to have an additional $4.5 billion of funding. This Senate relief package must keep that funding that is now in the House bill. The goal of the relief package is to meet this moment and meet the demand where the need is. Right now, for a lot of families, their biggest, most urgent life and death issue is keeping heat in their homes. LIHEAP is well positioned to rapidly respond to this need and to be able to help families in this urgent time. Gillibrand pointed out that 94% of Albany Housing Authority residents qualify for the LIHEAP program. Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan is a fellow Democrat. This pandemic continues to disproportionately impact our most vulnerable residents and those struggling to make ends meet. There is only enough heat for one in every six people who are eligible. So think about that. There's a pool of money. If you're eligible, you're supposed to be able to access it. And there's only enough money for one in six. That is a really cha huge challenge for the city of Albany. Sheehan says City Hall has been fielding calls from residents worried about their heat getting shut off, directing them to the LIHEAP program. Gillibrand cited National Energy Assistance Directors Association statistics, which say one in five homes in the country is at least 60 days behind on electric and gas bills. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Meanwhile, New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney were in Newburgh this week announcing legislation to protect firefighters from PFAS. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn explains. The two Democratic federal lawmakers were at the City of Newburgh Fire Department 
where they announced the PFAS Firefighter Protection Act. Gillibrand says the legislation would build on New York State's efforts to restrict foams containing PFAS. It also sets deadlines for airports for prohibiting the use of PFAS firefighting foams. It would put much-needed new prohibitions in place against using firefighting foam that has PFAS chemicals. It would create a federal ban on the manufacture, importation, and sale of firefighting foam that contains PFAS within two years of enactment. On the job for a matter of days, Newburgh Fire Chief Francis Spinelli talks about how the legislation would affect firefighter crews in the city and across the country. New York already has some of this on the books and, and they go through the Department of Environmental Conservation has rules and regulations, but this is going to expand it to where we can start to address the, the chemicals that are in our turnout gear. Our firefighter turnout gear is also manufactured with these products in it. So when our people are hot and sweating and, and in hazardous atmospheres, we're absorbing this chemical into our bodies. So this is, this is going to have a long-reaching effect on everything. In 2016, PFOS drinking water contamination came to light in Newburgh, where the chemical found in Washington Lake emanated from Stewart Air National Guard Base because of the historic use of firefighting foam. The city switched to the Catskill Aqueduct for its drinking water, which is still in place today. Gillibrand points out that PFAS, or per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, dubbed forever chemicals, have been used in non-stick products, such as in cookware. They're also used in firefighting, in the firefighting foam, and in the clothing and gear that firefighters use, meaning that products meant to protect firefighters to help them put out the fires actually put them in danger. Newburgh Mayor Torrance Harvey introduced Gillibrand. The bill she's going to introduce uh, works hand-in-hand -hand with uh, public safety, keeping our residents uh, safe, having clean drinking water for the city of Newburgh and our neighboring towns. Again, Gillibrand. A new scientific study found unequivocal evidence that these foams had an unex unacceptably high level of two toxic PFAS chemicals in the blood of firefighters. And one of those chemicals, according to a 2019 scientific review, is PFOS. Scientists say PFAS chemicals cause a number of adverse health effects, including on the thyroid and pancreas. And the substances can be toxic to the liver and the kidneys, are linked to kidney and testicular cancer, and impact the immune system. Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney's district office is in Newburgh. We know that the firefighting foam used out at Stewart and by the Defense Department at so many military facilities, and the same fighting, uh, firefighting foams that are used by departments like this one, are the source of this contamination. And so it's obviously a concern for the safety of the firefighters who have to deploy these materials in an emergency. We do that here on the, uh, we, we stockpile them here, I know, on the river for use of the new firefighting equipment on the river. So this is a real live issue. Getting these uh, hazardous materials out of the substances that our firefighters use is critical. Maloney, who represents the 18th District, will co-sponsor the PFAS Firefighter Protection Act in the House. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed legislation at the end of 2019 to phase out the use of PFAS chemicals in firefighting foam. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina.
Oneonta New York Mayor Gary Herzig announced this week he will not seek re-election this year. The Democrat has been mayor of the Otsego County town since 2015. He says he will spend the next 10 months working to ensure Oneonta is positioned for the post-COVID world. In recent months, Herzig's administration found itself dealing with the fallout of a coronavirus outbreak at SUNY Oneonta that led to an abrupt campus closure. Herzig, who says he doesn't have any plans beyond the rest of the term, spoke this week with the Legislative Gazette's Jesse King. You know, we've been through a tough year, just like everybody across the country, across the world has been. But despite that, I would have to say that the state of the city of Oneonta is one of strength uh, and one of resilience. Uh, We have come through this because the people of the city have come together to support one another and to support our business community. Um, Now, I know a lot of cities and the state are struggling with their budgets thanks to the pandemic. How is Oneonta looking on that front? Well, we are struggling, as we all know. Uh, The federal government to date has failed to come through with any support for local government. Uh, We are looking at a deficit this year in our budget of more than $2 million for a city our size that is significant. We are doing our best not to eliminate staffing positions, not to lay anybody off or furlough them. Uh, But it's a challenge. It's a real challenge for us. And of course, the closing of SUNY this past fall has resulted in a real hit to our business community, which means a great decrease in sales tax for the city. It means a decrease in sale of water, in uh, sewer rates, in transportation services that we provide. We probably look at a loss of over a million dollars a year to the city municipality just as a result of the campus being closed. In terms of addressing that deficit, uh, what are some things that you guys are looking at? Well, we have looked at consolidation, a couple of areas where we thought we could consolidate positions. And these are probably areas where it may have made sense before COVID, but this has motivated us to act quicker than we would have in other ways. Unfortunately, um, we've had to dig into our reserves. We are very fortunate that we have had healthy reserves going into this crisis. And that's a tribute to the people who came before me. That has enabled us to get through without having significant layoffs. But when you have to spend your reserves, you put yourself at risk for the future. Taking a look at the past year, I know one of the big stories coming out of Oneonta was, of course, the outbreak at SUNY Oneonta this past fall. What did the city learn from that outbreak? That was clearly something that set us back just when things were looking better, just when uh, the business community could start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, It turned out, as they say, to be an oncoming train. But we have learned from that, and so has the college. Uh, We have a new sense of partnership between the city and SUNY Oneonta. We've established excellent lines of communication. And so we are going into this spring semester with a different approach. The big challenge is not keeping the students safe and healthy when they are on campus. The big challenge is what takes place off campus. Right now, the college is working closely with the city in doing everything we can to have good communications and consistent messaging and enforcement of activities that students participate in off campus, not only in preventing negative behaviors, but also doing a better job of bringing the students into greater involvement in constructive 
positive activities as part of the community. Besides the pandemic, what are some of the city's biggest challenges right now that you're taking a look at? One of the biggest challenges that we are all facing is keeping our local businesses alive. And they've been through a year that nobody could have ever predicted or even imagined. Back in the early spring, I brought together a small group, about six people, who I thought could be good at coming up with some ideas on how we could support our local businesses. Uh, I asked two things. Come up with some strategies, innovative strategies, to allow our local businesses to survive. and then. Keep in mind that when COVID leaves and the doors open, there are going to be new opportunities. And let's start now working on strategies so that when that happens, we can thrive. For 2021, what are some things that you would like to see the city tackle? We have a full agenda of initiatives going forward in 2021. You know, as you know, we were a first round winner of Governor Cuomo's downtown revitalization initiative. We are now seeing much of that come into fruition. Uh, we are working on a project to provide 64 units of middle-income affordable housing along with artist law. We are working with Harper College to develop a downtown grain innovation center. We are undertaking a waterfront revitalization planning initiative. You know, we have the Susquehanna River, which runs practically through our downtown, but yet it is not accessible. We are working with New York State and professional planners to see if we can change that and allow the people of the city, visitors to the city, to access the river. How, you know, just think how wonderful a river walk would be. We're working together with the Greater Oneonta Historical Society and the Friends of the Oneonta Theater to try to save that historic jewel. Uh, it's also important to supporting the arts here in the city of Oneonta and the economy. So we have um, many initiatives going forward where we believe that the city of Oneonta is going to be in a strong position, particularly as people are looking for smaller, lower-density cities uh, in which to live in light of the recent um, experience we've had with the pandemic. That's outgoing Oneonta Mayor Gary Herzig speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Jesse King. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2109. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.